0: Tell you what, Herschel. Mm -hmm. I may have given up on Atlanta. I maybe don't care too much. you're not the only one. Anymore. And do you understand how much I wanted to To like a
1: letter. And it still is good. But it's just we wanna vote again, and I said this, we just won't earn fucking uh, the dude Lakeith and fucking the after the hotel one. Yeah, dude, I've been down with that shit, after the hotel one,
0: I was like, okay, whatever. And then I didn't even watch it the next week. And then I started it. Darius and Paperboy are trying Darius. to get some kind of cookie that'll get them high. But first mm-hmm. they have to drink the tea. And that's like as far as I got. And then I was like, I'm going to play some You baseball. checked out? Yeah, I'm just going to Well, play you some do baseball. got the
1: MLB. That that would probably trump that over MLB
0: 22. I wish that the creators would sponsor me and send me baseball packs. Baseball card packs on there. Mm. So I can build my Diamond Dynasty team. Mm. But... I do love grinding.
1: Mm, grinding is nice, man. You know, I was telling my brother the other day, I'm like, look, I remember when I was back in the day, I would never fix the eggs, my parents for any kind of money for, you know, VC, not granted back in when we was coming up, there was no VC. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, but anything we talking about the books, the strategy guides, oh, yeah. nothing, guides. you just got to somehow grind that shit out yourself. Don't yep. use the strategy guides, just grind it out,
0: figure it out yep. or else
1: realize or, that the game is terrible or go to school maybe one of your homies got a strategy guide which happened a lot or you can let them borrow it which what happens here
0: yeah. a little trade hmm they they let you borrow spider-man 64 yeah, you something. let them borrow
1: that's uh, a, but to me that's still Legend grinding it out
0: mystical ninja 64
1: that's grinding it out still now i'm oh, to yeah. just pay and get whatever they need and baseball
0: is a perfect game to grind it out because mm-hmm. the real sport of baseball is a grind. grind. Yeah, Plain and simple.
1: Mm. He said plain and simple. Let me see your dimples. None on your face, but your ass cheeks. That was actually good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you stupid. I like, I like a, that. You know I like a little cellulite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, I guess there's people out there that don't, but... <clears throat> Let's get real, dog.
0: Seriously. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like the Instagram ones. A lot of the Instagram ones may not have the brain that you need.
0: And I don't I don't know. I want to leave my teeth marks on some cellulite.
1: You can't do that on cardboard. Mm-mm.
0: Can't happen if it there's come,
1: come right back. <laughs>
0: boing. <laughs> break my teeth off. I look like an NHLer. Mm. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumble butt Podcast. X, 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 X. X. Today. My name's Adam. Yep, yeah, A-Bomb. That guy's name's Herschel. H-Bomb. It's that been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. But you know yeah. why it's been a while. Yeah. Number one, you got a new job at Coca-Cola. Yeah. I don't feel bad shouting out the name of it because it's not like, you know, Walser, where we used to work, yeah. right? Yeah. Because that's pretty easy. But Coca-Cola is an international, a transnational conglomerate. Mm-hmm. So you'll be... They're not going to be mad. So have you technically started work at coca no. Which brings us to why we've also not had mm-hmm. an episode.
1: Um, Herschel's Coronavirus Part 2. Damn, I hate that word, coronavirus. I never knew how much I hated it until now. Until you shunned me. You had it twice. Uh, Honestly, bro. Uh, yes, diagnosed. You diagnosed I'm pretty su- it twice. I'm pretty sure everybody had it at least once.
0: I think I've had it twice. Mm-hmm. Because there was two times where I was in, like, a terrible depression, yeah. and I also couldn't stop coughing.
1: And it was you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And you'd just be standing around and shit. Like,
0: <laughs> why does my entire body hurt? Yeah, for dog, no reason.
1: Like the COVID brain. I don't like the COVID brain. Oh. This shit is crazy,
0: dude. It's brutal. Yeah. I think that's what hits me the most. That memory fog, that mental fog, mm-hmm. oh, that's brutal. The damn. sleeping
1: and shit, like, you want to sleep, but it's like, nope, not right now. Do you sleep at the most inopportune Like, okay, let's fight, okay, I can't sleep, let's watch some TV. Mm. Then all of a sudden, you yeah, but then you don't even sleep for that long.
0: No, then you're just up. That's my problem these days, mm. even on my off day, mm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. I can't sleep past 545, 6 o'clock. Mm, your eternal clock fucked up somehow it's terrible but on work days my alarm goes off at seven and i'm fucking oh, sleepy sucks. as hell <laughs> yeah.
1: so it just doesn't make yeah. any sense it's like your body just don't want to work
0: it's very mean yeah well listen ladies and gentlemen let's yeah. get after it okay let's do this. the world was an absolute powder keg in the 1950s just waiting for a spark Communism was a global virus that mm. had spread to nearly a third of all global governments. Mm. In response, the Western nations voltroned themselves into the capitalist bloc and recovered from mm. World War II in no time, right. thanks to cooperation within the bloc, specifically in the technological field. Mm. The U.S. quickly became the dominant global force with the highest standard of living for its citizens. Even so... Within the country things were not at peace. Of the youth completely rejected the clean, orderly and materialistic nuclear family chasing the American dream. Mm. At the same time, TV became a universal appliance in every home. Man, don't we love TV? I love it. We talk about that's how we open <laughs> yeah. every show. And we've talked about The Wire for Man, longer yeah. than The Wire has actually mm, been. That's
1: true. On. I feel like we definitely mentioned The Wire. I think
0: time. I think the running time of The Wire doesn't match up to the amount of time we've
1: yeah, talked about. Especially it. for it to not be current events, Yeah, current events show.
0: Yeah, it's like it's crazy. 16 years old yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. if not older. The programs on the TV push the narrative of how to live as a proper American. Fathers were to be providers, and mm-hmm. mothers were to be A-OK with voluntarily waiving their agency to just be family and home makers. Leave it to Beaver was the idealized family. I love Leave it to Some really cool kids rebelled and made amazing timeless art and music to tell their parents and the Leave It to Beaver generation to go fuck, fuck themselves. Off. Yep. <laughs> but others, unfortunately, mm-hmm. would turn to violence. Mm. President Truman had within the decade dropped two atomic bombs on Japan in order to scare Russia, mm-hmm. and he kept emphasizing the need to cleanse the world of communism. Damn. The age of espionage, military secrets, and clandestine missions had dawned.
1: Mm. Now, from here on, the demolishment is real. <laughs>
0: you gotta tear it down. You gotta tear down the... well just tear down russia today that's just as true as it was in the
1: 1960s Mm. my friend loose cannons man yeah
0: and you know at first they rattle their little sabers for decades at a time (laughs) just rattle 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 and then they ineffectually this time thankfully Mm -hmm. have tried to put their little russian boner back out on the map but Mm -hmm. nobody likes it nobody will stand for it
1: no matter who's fighting, somebody always be up in arms about fighting, man. We could save. This it thing. seems like,
0: <laughs> it seems like with a lot of conflicts, there's mm-hmm. a justification, no. a little bit on some side. Mm. But here, there's not. This is just conquest. Yeah, just this doing is just some brutal shit. trying to get land. This yeah, that's is, bogus. You know, this is barbarian shit.
1: Yeah, it's not how the world works anymore.
0: No, it's not how it worked since. Fuck ships. Probably still had sails on them the last time mm. that worked. In 1950, the country's paranoia was best represented by Senator Joseph McCarthy, who led a crusade against card-carrying communists, whom he said had infiltrated the government along with the national communication systems. Mm-hmm. The House of Representatives were only too eager to form the Un-American Activity Committee, which provided the perfect stage for McCarthy to carry out his hysteria. Mm -hmm. Innocent people were labeled witches and blackmailed into giving up other names of Communist Party members. During the Red Scare, government workers had to go through routine and random loyalty tests, and a lot of laws were sidestepped and or completely ignored in the name of national security. That seems to happen a lot. Whatever America's perceived guaranteed safety even remotely feels threatened.
1: What exactly is a loyalty test? I
0: mean, I know what loyalty is, but... Yeah, so you would be taken aside by agents multiple agents to a private room and you would be put through humiliating degrading tests like are you a homosexual do you know anybody that's ever been in the communist party uh is your family homosexual like just gathering all kinds of information which wasn't relevant <laughs> <to communism. laughs> or,
1: or, or loyalty yeah well
0: that's they think loyalty means if they know every single thing about you but that's not loyalty that's fear
1: that is bro
0: It would take until 1954 before McCarthy was finally publicly discredited, but his paranoia didn't evaporate from the nation just because he did. In Wisconsin, in Mm -hmm. 1957, Ed Gein was arrested for killing two women and desecrating multiple female graves in order to have a pretty lady costume made Mm -hmm. of skin to pay homage to his dead mother. Mm (sighs) Did you like Ed Gein? Ed Gein.
1: I just like that name for some reason. Maybe was, I shouldn't have said that.
0: He was an old creep, that's for sure. But
1: yeah, you said, yeah. How many bodies he got on him? Well, just uh, the two. That's known. He
0: only killed two.
1: Oh, okay. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. But he dug up a shitload of graves.
1: I wonder what was wrong with him, too. He was just crazy like that. You the rest can listen to Bumblebutt Podcast. Games. One of the aid games.
0: America was shaken and gripped by the thought that anyone and everyone could be a killer. Mm. Part of what made this easier were cars were dirt cheap, highways were fast and mega convenient, and multiple killers could strike in the night and be two states away before anyone would notice. Mm. Murderers were beginning to shake the solid American foundation that Leave It to Beaver worked so hard to build. Mm-hmm. Those who held any sway with audiences and could put words together tried their hardest to give voice to the good versus bad people in America. One author wrote a tale which anticipated America's fear of domestic monsters, far outweighing the invisible communist boogeymen Mm. that were an entire ocean away.
1: Call them straight (laughs) boogeymen.
0: Seriously. (laughs)
1: Like, damn. Damn. But this author,
0: this author anticipated the romance and terror that we would feel about multiple murderers, serial killers, mass murderers, that kind of stuff. Flannery O'Connell was her name, and she published a short story called "A Good Man Is Hard to Find," and it would certainly be her most famous work. Nothing else she, uh, nothing else she wrote ever really made a spark. What was the name of that book again? A Good Man Is Hard to Find. Bitch. It starts with a grandma not wanting to go with her family on a road trip vacation to Florida. Mm-hmm. In an attempt to scare them out of it, she regales them with the brutal crimes of the misfit, who was a fugitive from some prison who had mm-hmm. done something to some people. You know, all vagaries. Mm-hmm. She's just floundering to try and get her way out of going to Florida. Mm hmm. The idea was absolutely shocking and revolutionary in fiction at the time. The grandma explained to the family that someone that doesn't even know you, with nothing against you, could just come up out of nowhere and kill you over nothing. The Haters. family thinks Grandma is just being hysterical and goes anyway, taking her with them. The moral of the story, if you hadn't picked up by it now, is stranger danger was increasing in America, mm-hmm. and there used to be better times in this country. That's what a lot of these myths will say. You'll, you know that with the "Make America Great Again" all that shit. Mm-hmm. Always better times. There were. There used to be mythical better times this back is just then. Some shit
1: to help you cope,
0: everybody. We'll always say, oh, things were so much better back then. Mm. Oh, things were so much better back then. Yeah. Always. Like They're, dude said on the wire. Make America great again. That's the kids, point of that
1: shit. Oh, you kids always be in the violence and The Kids always did that. Yeah. Nah, my bad. We used to sell things with our fists. Like, dude, shit was always like that, dude. It's always been fucked up.
0: Always. The family sees a sign down a dirt road for an awesome tourist attraction and makes the turn. Granny's cat gets loose in the car and causes the vehicle to veer off-road. Three armed men drive slowly past the family before turning around to greet them. (laughs) Granny recognizes the shirtless one as the misfit from the picture in the paper. He nods and says things would have been much better for all of them if she would have just kept that to herself. The grandma apologizes profusely and attempts to appeal to the misfit's better side, swearing that they won't breathe a word of this to anyone. The misfit begins telling a story about how he used to be a gospel singer, while one of the other men takes the father and son out in the woods and shoots them. He returns bloody and repeats the process with the mother, daughter, and infant. Mm. The grandma tries one last attempt to reach the misfit's humanity and sense of right, but he just compares himself to Jesus, who was punished for no crimes, thus proving the world was morally off-kilter. He figures in light of all that, a Persian should only do what makes them happy, and what makes him happy is killing and meanness.
1: Mm, they remind me of the misfit, remind me of the joker from uh, Christian Bill when... Sorry. They just told him a story while he was doing this bullshit.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Just madness. He's just, it uh, just doesn't even matter. It's all lies anyway. Want to know how I got yeah. these scars? Yeah. And asshole. Right, what do you
1: want to be dramatic for? Like, yeah. just get it over with. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a movie about the Joker, but this
0: dude. Just do the deed. Yeah. And this, you know, this is a, this is a movie of the time, a short story here. <laughs> The grandma reaches out for a gentle touch on his arm, and he jumps back, revolted, Uh, shooting her dead. Damn! (laughs) While wiping the blood from his glasses, he ordered his goons to put her with the others.
1: I thought he was going to talk to her, at least. He didn't even... That was...
0: That was okay. This was the sort of animalistic behavior that was beginning to replace the nation's fear Mm. of communism. See, that's a lot more scary when that can happen at home. When you're going to a tourist attraction. Hell yeah, bro. That's way more scarier than a rush shutting over in St. Petersburg being mm-hmm. all communist. Chill, you on your way home from Target and shit. Yeah, the misfit. He'll run you off the road. Well, the cat ran him off the road, technically. The cat got loose in the car.
1: So if it wasn't for the cat, they might not even be picked. Yeah. But it still don't matter. What if your tire go, get blown out? That's
0: exactly it. There's a lot like, of what ifs.
1: I guess that's why motherfuckers get away from the scene. Like, your shit, go out, man. leave. Go. Go. It's night.
0: Abandon it. Yeah.
1: Try to find a way to get the fuck up out of there, bro. Call
0: AAA. Oh, wait. It's
1: 1950. Ooh, yeah, bro. You had to go
0: hide. On January 11th, 1959, Mm -hmm. an event occurred that would bring the terror of real monsters like Ed Gein and fake monsters like the Misfit together in a small town in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Mr. Carroll and Miss Mildred Jackson along with their two daughters had gone missing. They were driving home from a relative's house near Falls Church. Another relative drove roughly the same route a little while later and saw a car that looked like Carroll's abandoned on the side of the road. Mm. The relative reported it to the police. Patrolmen checked the car and found no sign of the four of them, just an empty car. As time passed and they failed to turn up, It was clear something awful had occurred. Police combed the possible paths the family could have walked, turned up nothing. Hmm. The father, mother, along with their five-year-old and 18-month-old daughters seemed to have vanished with no signs of struggle, blood, or any trail at all. As days turned to weeks, no progress was made. Carol Jackson was a quiet and humble Baptist who never drank or smoked a day in his life and doted on his children. He'd met his wife Mildred at church. Mm-hmm. They lived in a modest home and took their daughters to Sunday school every week. Mm. There was no beef with other families, relatives, or neighbors. That's good. No, <laughs> You're what's so up? funny.
1: No, it is, dude. Because, dude, that I means they ain't hating on nobody. You know Definitely. And You know how st- Christians could be, bro. They can, oh, some Christians yeah. could be. Sitting in judgment. Yeah, like, stop it. But they ain't had no beef with nobody. That's pretty good, no, bro. It was just. Good dad.
0: Yeah. Good mom.
1: Yeah. Their
0: disappearance was reported in a local paper with photos in the hopes that somebody saw something. Mm. A couple came forward and told police about a suspicious incident that had happened the very same day the Jacksons evaporated. The couple said an older model blue Chevy had been erratically driving behind them and flashing his lights. The couple pulled over thinking they needed some kind of urgent help. They saw a man step out and start walking towards them slowly while reaching in his back waistband. Mm-mm. The stranger's entire demeanor was threatening, and the couple knew that if he reached their car, he would do them bodily harm. Thinking quickly, they threw it into gear and boogied up out
1: of there. Hell yeah i wouldn't honestly i wouldn't even stopped oh no
0: like even if somebody's trying to run me off the road i'm gonna drive as close as i can to civilization Mm -hmm. to hopefully somebody sees this asshole Mm -hmm. all over me and Mm -hmm. calls the
1: police Mm bro And it's probably dark as fuck outside oh yeah
0: that man scared them and his thin face was burned into their memories (laughs) he was tall dark haired big eyebrowed And sporting a pair of comically long arms. They said he walked as if he'd just gotten off a horse. Kind of duck like. (laughs)
1: Like, dude, go! Go, go, go! Fuck this dude. This weird ass motherfucker. Let's go. Go. (laughs) Dude, I'd have been boogieing out that bitch. Oh yeah.
0: On March 4th, a painful two months after the Jacksons apparently abandoned their car, two guys were racing down the back roads of Fredericksburg, Virginia, when their car got bogged down and stuck in the mud. Mm. They went into the forest off the road to find dry brush to put under the tires for traction. With a few armfuls each, the pair made a gruesome discovery. A decomposing man laying in the ditch with his hands bound in front of him with a necktie. The two fellas got their car unstuck in a hurry and hauled ass to the police. The coroner determined the body had been there a while, but it was winter and even in eastern Virginia, it got cold enough to keep the body somewhat preserved. Mm. As they removed him from the ditch, they uncovered a terrible surprise underneath the body of a baby girl. There was no sign of shooting, strangulation, or stabbing. Whoever killed her had simply tossed her tiny body in the ditch, alive and unharmed, and suffocated her beneath her father's corpse, which was tossed on top of her. These victims were ID'd as Mr. Carol Jackson and 18-month-old Janet Jackson. Detectives posited that the killer had forced the family car off the road in the same manner as the other couple and strong-armed them into his trunk. Assuming that Jackson's wife and other daughter had suffered a similar fate, teams of officers were sent to scour the woods. Extensive time and effort turned up nothing. Wherever Mrs. Mildred and her five-year-old Susan were dumped, it was not here. Mm. It wasn't until two weeks later, on March 21st, that the missing Jackson family members were found. In the same woods, but much deeper than anyone thought possible. Two boys out squirrel hunting came across an area that had been freshly dug up. They were curious kids with hopes of buried treasure as they started to shift the soil. They found a clump of blonde human hair. Pushing more dirt, they found the face of a little girl. Damn, that was it. With police and coroners on site, digging with extreme care, little Susan was fully exhumed. Under her was her mother Mildred. All four members of the family had been located. Autopsy confirmed both victims had been raped and Mildred had been forced into other sexual acts as well as being subjected to torture before being bludgeoned to death. She had a stocking tied around her neck, but not used as a ligature, more as a sex harness so he Mm. could control her. See, investigators think she was told to do a sex act that disgusted her, possibly oral, and the collar got him what he wanted. Mm. Five-year-old Susan had been beaten to death with something blunt, possibly a gun butt, As the bodies were removed, tens of detectives walked the scene, looking for dropped evidence, footprints, or anything to help explain why the killer brought the mom and daughter here. About a quarter mile from the bodies, police came across a shack. Outside, they observed fresh tire tracks, which made them wonder about that Chevy driver. Maybe it was the same guy. It was likely that he killed the father and baby so he could take his time with the mother and daughter. Absolutely. Inside the shack, cops found a red button. The exact kind that had been torn off Mildred's dress. This wasn't random. The killer knew the area, the shack, and he brought his victims here with a purpose. The only problem was they were no closer to an ID on him. And as the media got involved, things got more and more frustrating. Yeah, now, media, always.
1: For real. Because now you're starting to give away and whereabouts, and where you at with the whole case. And...
0: Gets personal and they start, you know, Cause hell, looking think... at the investigators instead of at the crime or the case itself.
1: Because hell, if they just sat there on the spot for maybe like a, a week or two, he might have turned up.
0: Like at the crime scene? Yeah.
1: Well, the sh- way there was fresh tire prints at the shack. Yeah. It's like a nice little place. Keep the bodies where they're at, unfortunately. I mean, I know that's not right to do, but.
0: Sure. Oh, well, you're right. It's not I mean, right to do, but. Yeah, but we got to beat around to see yeah. like if he what's, sees... we'll yeah. see what's possible.
1: We had this motherfucker. Here comes. Beat this ass, dude. Last week.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't mind somebody like this going in an elevator and coming out a little more roughed up.
1: That the kid on the show, the Mercy show. I mean, uh, we on the city. Yeah, we on the city. With the big ass scar on his forehead, yeah. I was like, damn. With a yeah. girl, you think the girls go? Girl? I'm like, well, bro, you good with the females because they like the scars around mm-hmm. their head. But that's a damn. They did fuck your pretty boy in this. look up, boy. Like you. F- that's even in Saint
0: Paul that used to be like the big joke. People would go into the elevator at booking, mm-hmm. fine, and come out bloody. Because mm-hmm. the cops would fuck him up in there.
1: The thing is, he can't be a model anymore, neither, because because maybe he had the little braces to see. I mean, you trying to get your shit hey, right.
0: Marlo looks good on there.
1: Hey, yeah, Marlo looks good.
0: Man. And his whole face is a scar.
1: Mm-hmm. You can't even really tell.
0: Not with the beard and stuff,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the beard.
0: As the cops did their dance, interrogating suspects mm-hmm. and running down leads, mm-hmm. a strange anonymous letter came in from a man who had been suspicious about his friend the letter writer would be identified about a year later as glenn moser of norfolk virginia and the friend he was concerned about was melvin david reese Mm. a 26 year old self styled philosopher and jazz musician reese was dark haired intelligent and talented traveling all around the area to play piano sax and clarinet
1: yeah right right
0: reese had at one time attended the university of maryland but dropped out to pursue his dreams of being a pro musician. Glenn Moser, in his letter, said his and Reese's conversations had always been angsty, filled with commentary on how life should be and lamenting how life actually was. On one strange evening, their conversation turned to murder. Reese absolutely loved the edgelord philosopher and life coach at the time, Nietzsche, and Moser recalls Reese saying this, You can't say it's wrong to kill. Only individuals make it right or wrong. (laughs) This was a boiled down interpretation of a Nietzsche concept called situational ethics, which says there are some supermen out there who are above the standards of ordinary men. It's all Mm -hmm. fucking bullshit. It's all stupid. Reese and Moser would talk late into the night, high as fuck on Dexedrine, which are what pro baseball players would know as greenies or beans, Mm. and they are amphetamine pills. Reese wanted to have every intense experience from love to death a person could feel in his lifetime. According to Moser's letter, That particular conversation took place the night before the Jackson family was slaughtered. When the family's murder was heavily publicized in the papers two months after their death, Moser saw Reese's strange, methed-out conversations in a whole new light. Mm. And now he remembered that Reese had been arrested in 1955 for assaulting a 36-year-old woman. Damn! Reese had tried to get her into his car, and when she refused, he got out and tried to force her in. The victim wouldn't press charges, however, and the case was dropped.
1: No wonder why the victim didn't press charges. it was
0: 1955. Oh, probably. And they probably would have called her a slut, and probably would have got away with it anyway.
1: I get it. You will not even have to go through the whole bullshit.
0: You were leading her on, you tramp. Why were you wearing an ankle-length skirt? That's...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's, dude, that's that's not that. (laughs) Look, that's crazy, though. I'm sorry, ladies. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. Because th- th- there was nothing revealing about what was going on.
0: Hey, it still happens today. Reese's entire friend group dismissed the incident, Moser included. But now, Moser was convinced that Reese was responsible. Reese was a mild-mannered dude, but nobody really knows what boils just beneath the surface.
1: No, nobody knows but you.
0: Yeah just me. Mm. I know about everybody.
1: Well, (laughs) not you.
0: I'm a seer. (laughs) Moser said in the letter that he confronted Reese, asking him directly if he'd killed the Jackson family or not. Reese sidestepped everything, Mm -hmm. but would not outright deny it. And that is the behavior that forced him to write the letter. Moser wrote that even though Reese was his friend, Anyone that takes another human life deserves punishment, and if Reese could so easily kill an entire family, there's really no ceiling that Moser could see him stopping That's at. That's true. He even believed Reese to be involved in another murder in 1957 when they were both door-to-door salesmen together. A woman named Margaret Harold was killed mm-hmm. while Moser and Reese were in the area. Mm-hmm. And given the circumstances and Reese's attitude about killing, Moser urged the police to take a look.
1: And all this is in that letter.
0: Absolutely. This in a, is an anonymous letter.
1: An anonymous book.
0: Exactly,
1: yeah. (laughs) Because all this shit, dude, this is a lot of
0: shit. It's like, Jesus, you sent us the Ten Commandments size. Like, dude,
1: you pretty much sent us our case. Yeah. Thank you. Serious. You just got to pursue this motherfucker and figure it out. See if it's real, too, because you can't just believe anonymous letters.
0: You can't. They will not hold up in court.
1: Mm -mm. You got to do the running around yourself, though. But it's a good good hit, though.
0: It's a good start. Mm. Police started by trying to find Reese but he'd recently moved out of his house and left no forwarding
1: address.
0: (laughs) That was going to be troubling, but just based on the info in Moser's letter, they could look into his background. They discovered Melvin had dated a girl at the University of Maryland named Wanda Tipton. For some reason, that name rang a bell with detectives, so they went to U of M for a yearbook. To their astonishment, Miss Tipton had been interviewed when Margaret Harold was killed. Well, shit! It was time to re-examine that murder. On June 26, 1957, Margaret Harold and her army sergeant boyfriend were driving along a scenic route outside of Annapolis, Maryland. A man in a green Chrysler was all over their ass, Mm -hmm. forced them off the road. He got out of his car and walked up, gesturing for them to roll down the window. He climbed in the back seat and pulled his gun. He wound his fingers through Margaret's hair and told him to give him some money. Margaret stood tall and told her boyfriend not to give him a fucking nickel. Mm-hmm. Immediately, the man pulled her hair tight and shot her through the back of the head. Damn. He began fondling the body as the boyfriend got out of the car and started running, stunned and horrified. He was unable to save Margaret. <laughs> he sprinted across several farm fields until he came across a house about a mile away. The police came to pick him up while another team was sent to the crime scene. As they'd anticipated, Margaret was dead. Mm-hmm. But they hadn't anticipated finding her stripped of all her clothes and sexually assaulted. It showed both how cowardly and bold the killer was. Yeah, yeah. Even as the sergeant ran for help, he'd taken the precious time to find pleasure inside the corpse.
1: Because he was feeling the titties as soon as he shot her?
0: Yep. And then by the time they got there, she was naked. Raped and exposed. They said like her legs were spread as like an embarrassment gesture. He posed her. That's not cool. The sergeant gave a very good description of the assailant. Average build, on the tall side, plain looking, but with a distinct thin face. There wasn't anything overly threatening about his appearance, but he had a cold, brutal way of carrying himself. Hmm. Looking for evidence, detectives fanned out in the hopes the killer dropped something. They stumbled across an overgrown cinder block building not far from the scene Mm. that was full of violent pornography and morgue photos of women who'd been murdered plastered all over the walls. Damn. This is where they found a yearbook photo of Wanda Tipton from the University of Maryland, which stood out like a sore thumb in this nasty collection of pictures. When police contacted Wanda... She claimed she didn't know anyone who fit that physical description. While that's disappointing, they were certain she was the linchpin to getting them an arrest in this horrendous crime. Mm. In 1957, there was no DNA, or really any forensic analysis at all, and catching killers often required finding them right away. But with no fresh leads or any clues at all, Mm. the case dried all the way up. Mm leaving the killer to his predatory ways until he crossed paths with the unfortunate Jackson family in Virginia just over a year and a half later.
1: (laughs) You said Janet, I'm like, damn. (laughs) That's where they got their names from. Yeah, Joe
0: Jackson was a huge true crime fan.
1: Yeah, hey, you know how these motherfuckers are. Yeah, Mm.
0: right? Joe was the dad?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe Jack, well, not from the King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good shit, by Joe. Fucking love it.
0: After receiving Moser's anonymous letter in 1959, cops compared the mass murder of the Jacksons with the slaying of Margaret and found quite a few similarities. Obviously, tall, dark-haired man traveling in a car who aggressively stopped people in cars. There was sexual assault on the female victims and the brutal disregard for the victim's suffering. It all seemed to fit, and despite Miss Wanda Tipton's insistence that she never knew anyone like the guy they were describing, it seemed she did know the guy, quite well. She later admitted to having dated Melvin Reese for a while, but gave up because he was married. He wasn't married, but he probably told her that so he could stop seeing her.
1: Man, ain't that a good... <laughs> that's, a good that's a good way to Sorry get Sorry I'm married. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I should have told you. I should have told you. It was over. Like, who would marry you?
0: Fucking greaseball.
1: He was. Well, I don't know that. Me neither. He <laughs> said
0: I mean, I've seen pictures, but what a picture is only worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Her obstruction may have cost investigators valuable time but it's unlikely her admitting to having dated Reese in the past would help them find him right now. Now the cops had everything they needed, and Reese was dead to rights. They marched right on to the address Moser provided as a possible hideout, but Reese was not there. Next, they checked the jazz clubs he played at, but no one had seen him in a while. Reese seemed to have disappeared. Possibly someone had tipped him off, or maybe he was paranoid after his pal Moser confronted him. Trying to make him admit to killing the Jacksons. Whatever the case, he was gone, and for more than a year the trail vanished. The murders were shelved and the resources reappropriated to more pressing cases. Mm-hmm. The hunt for Reese would be rekindled by the most unlikely of people a wizard.
1: The actual wizard?
0: Peter Herkos had gained a fair share of international fame during his time as a seer. Of course, possessing this otherworldly power got him involved with trying to solve murder cases. Peter fell from a ladder in 1941, and when he woke from his coma, he claimed he had two minds, one of them psychic. He said he could see the future, travel mentally to the past, and learn about people by touching objects they owned or visiting places they'd been. He left the Netherlands and took his act to the United States, where he had a successful nightclub run and partied with celebs and politicians alike. Hmm. Many people begged him to help find missing children, help organize their lives, or even solve murders. Hmm. One of these people was Dr. F. Regis Reisenman, a forensic psychiatrist based in Washington, D.C., who invited Herkos out in June of 1960. He wanted any help he could get on the Jackson case. Mm-hmm. Police had already questioned some 1,500 persons of interest and had a list narrowed down to 100 prime suspects. They accepted Herkos' help, but were horrified by the media circus that came with the assistance. Hercos predicted a conclusion to the case in just two weeks, and the person arrested would be indicted for nine murders. Not just the four Jacksons.
1: Mm. He probably thought Dude was a psycho in the media. Like you're gonna believe this guy?
0: I I mean, what an easy story for those papers to run. Mm-hmm. To be like, well, c- Can you believe the police have invited yeah, a wizard?
1: Exactly, bro. Come
0: on. Like, what are you kidding me? That's and then if he is. does it, then they can all be like, Holy shit, there's a wizard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Who would have ever yeah. thought there was a wizard around here? Fucking dragons <laughs> Dude, no, nah, but for real, that's probably why it was a media circus. It's the cookie crisp wizard up in here. Because what was his success rate? Peter Hercos? Yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I read part of his biography, but it was kind of boring. A bunch of fluff? Uh, there's a lot of fluff for sure. A lot of like the biographer is too much detail about his movements and stuff like that. <laughs> The way he gracefully dude, folded his hands. Just get and to the saving. That's and the, exactly
1: the, Yeah, that. dude.
0: Give me to events. Yeah. Let's go event, event, event. Yeah,
1: I need to fact check this shit in my own brain. I don't want to
0: hear about his cool dark eyes surveying the room and yeah. stuff like that. It's too much. He went to the cemetery to be with the Jacksons and brought some of their possessions to get a real psychic sense of them. While sitting cross-legged over their graves... He accurately described the positions of all four bodies as they were found. He also knew how each member had been killed and even described the murderer, just over six feet, left-handed, with a tattoo on one arm. Speaking of arms, the killers were extremely long and he walked like a duck.
1: (laughs) And he said all that shit. Yep. That's crazy.
0: In the cemetery holding like a toy and sitting on their grave. He, He said all this stuff.
1: That's crazy. Gotta like, I gotta go, bro. Yeah. <laughs> There's a wizard over here. Y'all got this. <laughs> situated. Y'all here. got this situated already. Y'all, this is, y'all don't need me no more.
0: This is gonna be all over the newspapers. Yeah, I gotta I'm get out
1: of here. That shit creeped me out.
0: When Hercos was taken to the scene of Margaret Harold's murder, he found an undiscovered piece of her skirt still caught in a bush and psychically determined that the same man who killed the Jacksons had killed Margaret. The mystic drew a picture of a house he believed the killer lived at and led them to it. The cops were amazed. It was the home of one of their primary suspects, a garbage man. Dude, I was taken back just what you told me, dude. (laughs) Immediately upon arrest, the garbage man confessed to the crimes. Damn! The papers were quick to call the case solved, and Herkos a real deal wizard. Dude. But just ten days later, still within Herkos' original time Mm -hmm. frame, by the way, don't get that twisted. Mm -hmm. He still called this part. The FBI located Melvin Reese. The Washington Post was quick to ridicule Herkos and all the papers that thought he was for real, But Hercos' biographer defends him on this, and goddammit Herschel, I do too. She believed that in hindsight, the seer was highly accurate about very specific things. Hercos had described the killer's posture and appearance, and the garbage man's house that he drew, Reese had been the previous owner, just not when Hercos was on the case. Taking that, if he can see back in time... No, he I'm could a, see Reese dude, owning that house. And actually, living I'm there.
1: freaked out right now, dude. <laughs> like I'm
0: dude. Herkos also said Mildred Jackson, <laughs> the mother, only had thirty one teeth, which was then confirmed in the autopsy report. <sighs> teeth Born dude. born with thirty one teeth. Not had, had one removed. But born born with thirty one. Out of the blue, Reese sent his friend Moser a letter to let him know he had settled down in Hyattsville, Arkansas, and was working as a piano salesman. Reese couldn't have sent this to a worse person for him, and Moser went right to the police. Mm. He had kept up with the investigation in the papers fervently, and was sad that his earlier anonymous letter had failed to pay off. Mm. Moser said it was difficult to rat the first time, and still just as hard the second, but he knew it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. This time he didn't hide behind anonymity, instead he walked right into the station and handed the letter over. Mm. Because Reese had crossed state lines, this became a federal case and the FBI were all over it. Agents were dispatched to Arkansas and hauled in Reese. Margaret Harold's boyfriend was called in to look at a lineup. The sergeant positively ID'd Reese as the man who killed and raped his girlfriend. The agents tossed Reese's home, even though they thought it unlikely he would have brought any evidence all the way to Arkansas. He wasn't a trophy guy, like he didn't take possessions from the bodies or anything. He buried them with everything they had on them. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a superb idea to search the house because inside of one of his sex cases, they found a secret compartment with a 38 special. In both instances, the attacker had shot victims with a 38. Even more telling was the pile of notes under the pistol, which described a bevy of sex acts he wanted to try. One of them was paper clipped to a newspaper article. The handwritten note described killing a father and baby on a lonely road. The piece of newspaper it was clipped to was a picture of Mildred Jackson. As far as evidence goes, this was just as good as finding him with something from the crime scene. No jury in the land could miss the connection. Mm. The evidence against Melvin was buff indeed. A gun, a photo, a murder journal, which was equivocal to a confession, a lineup ID, and a letter and assistance from Moser. Newspapers covering the arrest and trial nicknamed him the Sex Beast, mm. which is pretty sex lame. Beast. Like, it's kind of lame.
1: Yeah, sex like mo porn shit. Oh, yeah.
0: He would be tried in both Maryland and Virginia, in Baltimore, Reese's trial opened in February 1961 for the murder of Margaret Harold. Her boyfriend testified and the 38 was a ballistic match to the slug found in Margaret's head. It was an easy life-in-prison conviction for the jury. In September, Reese's trial opened in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. He was being charged with the first-degree murders of all four Jacksons. His murder journal secured him a death sentence since the descriptions were so graphic and granularly specific. Melvin appealed every chance he could and eventually got his sentence commuted to life in prison. It wasn't his appeals that did it, But in 1972, the Supreme Court suspended all death penalties Mm -hmm. to investigate the constitutionality of it. Melvin would spend two more decades tucked safely behind bars without a paralyzing agent running through his veins. Mm -mm. Before dying of natural causes in 1995, he was either 66 or 67. There's no official record. That's your boy, Melvin. fuck him. Melvin Reese.
1: Fuck him. And you say he wasn't possessive, but having those letters, I mean, the sex acts he wanted to do, yep. I feel like that's...
0: That's a different kind yeah. of... You know, it's not like yeah. grabbing a piece of hair yeah. or the pubes like Rillington. You remember our boy mm-hmm. from Rillington had the box of pubes. <laughs> uh, fucking... Like
1: they had a cigar box just yeah. open. <laughs> pull it out. You want a
0: Dutch master yeah, <laughs> or Come a on. clump of pubes?
1: Yeah, but Melvin, no. Melvin!
0: fuck you yeah killed the jacksons killed margaret killed possibly others who knows because it was the 50s and 60s people were worried about communists
1: overlooked a lot of shit
0: and you could get away with anything apparently you know what i mean
1: especially the guys awful
0: listen herschel what did you think of this episode
1: this is actually decent so it was different i like how you uh Came in with the old um, the communism in the beginning, thinking about the World War 1950s. You got to explain. That's what you, think. You gotta, that's what you think about when it's you terror.
0: Yeah. I got to throw you into yeah. the 50s. Blue I got to make you think that about what it was like.
1: It was good, bro.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for mm-hmm. listening. We will probably be publishing on Thursdays from now on, oh, as boy. uh Herschel works for Coca-Cola. Right now, we're recording on Wednesday night. So mm-hmm. you know, give me give me a day to go to work again and then mm-hmm. I'll come home, chop it up, and then I'll put it up as soon as possible. Probably about six o'clock mm-hmm. central. Say. But we appreciate you listening. Yeah, we do. Here on Bumble Podcast. X-X-X-X-X. My name's been Adam. A bomb. That's been Herschel. H Bomb. And we will see you next time.